the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Sam Robson with you. And Sam, yes, it's that time of the year again. J1 team of the half season time. Yeah, my favourite episode, I think, of the season. Yeah, this was a really interesting one as well. Some great polls, very tight. We've got a lot to debate and argue about. And uh, it's great to, I'm sorry, I'm seeing your thunder here, but great to welcome Johnny Nickel in to uh, uh, join us on this, as he always does. How are you, Johnny? Yeah, I'm doing good, thanks, Sam. And uh, likewise, I always look forward to this episode. And I'm, I'm really glad we've actually been able to pick the team of the half season after half the season. That, that's been a, a real a real pleaser for me. So, yeah. Like both of you, I'm looking forward to, to getting stuck into it. Uh, how about you, Ben? How, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Thank you, Johnny. Yes. And uh, yeah, again, uh, just like the two of you, really looking forward to this. Um, yeah, thanks uh, to all of our patrons for their votes in the various polls over the last week or so. And yes, all of the results are in. We're going to run through uh, the polls position by position and put our best 11 from the first half of the J1 season together. And as Johnny said, the mid-season break and the international break has fallen, yes, quite literally at the midway point of the season. So very pleasing. And uh, yes, we'll get into that very soon in part two of the episode. We do have some housekeeping to see to in the meantime. And um, yes, we're recording on Monday night, that means we missed. Uh, we are going to miss the uh, the second of uh, Japan's friendlies during this international break, which is, I guess, a little bit unfortunate, Sam, because um, yeah, the only game from the Samurai Blue we've got to uh, talk about it was very, very one-sided at the Toyota Stadium last Thursday night. Japan took on El Salvador, uh, took a first-minute lead through a Shogo Taniguchi header. And after El Salvador had a player sent off in the fourth minute, uh, it was very much a procession from there. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. I mean, obviously the referee has to referee to the letter of the law and he has to send him off. He has no choice, but 2-0 after five minutes, the game's over as a contest. And it wasn't like El Salvador are a great team anyway. They weren't necessarily going to put up much of a threat in any case, but to be against 10 men and 2-0 up that early, I mean, it's difficult to take anything really away from the game. I think Japan were professional. They kept going forward. I think Kubo should have got some confidence from his performance and, uh, I thought Hatate midfield was maybe the standout for me, but yeah, it's, uh, hopefully against Peru we'll see a much bigger challenge. Peru just come off the back of a victory over South Korea, so that should be a, a more interesting test. But yeah, a few players got decent performances. Oh, I'm Ias away, they're getting a monkey off his back with the penalty goal, so there are some positives, of course. But yeah, the Peru game isn't probably going to be the more interesting of the two. Yes, and uh, Johnny, yeah, well, that's it. We knew that El Salvador were the uh, the weaker of the, the two nations Japan are going to face during this international break. And, um, yeah, I guess this, uh, Sam's right, the, the referee's done his job and it's the correct decision. We can't really complain. But, um, yeah, when something like that happens inside the first five minutes, it kind of makes me wish there was a like an orange card or a 10-minute sin bin for international friendlies because, yeah, the uh, the entire evening, while obviously the, the punters who rocked up at the Toyota Stadium um, certainly got their money's worth in terms of seeing Japan score six goals, um, for those of us who want to see Japan tested as um, ever so gradually they build up to the Asian Cup, I mean, it wasn't the uh, the searching test that uh, Hajime Moriyasu might have been hoping for. 
Yeah, it's, it's the, the perennial problem for teams in like countries in Asia, isn't it? Because all the European teams were, were tied up, and I think the Central and North American teams, they all had like a, a continental competitions, and African teams were doing like Cup of Nations qualifying. So they had two South American uh, like friendlies uh, previously this year, and then they've got Peru coming up. So there's only so many of these teams you can find to, to play. So and, and like, like you say, the game the game was over as a contest after five minutes. I mean, the, the idea that came to me is I think it used to happen in like pre-season friendlies in the UK. They would just take the player over to the manager and say, you've got to substitute this player off. I think maybe the, the Japanese players who've had a long, hard season in Europe might not have wanted that. But I think Hajime Moriyasu and probably actually quite a sizable amount of the, the fans inside the Toyota Stadium would have, would have quite enjoyed that if it's... 2-0 after five minutes in 11 versus 11, I think both sides would learn like far more about the game than what just turned into to a procession. And I guess, as, as Sam says, uh, Ueda getting, getting his first goal and also Keito Nakamura, he also got, got his first goal. That was pretty good. Furuhashi got a goal, although in fairness, it's probably like playing for Celtic every week, given the kind of standard of the, the, the game. Um, yeah, I think some small positives, but in general, you're going to learn a lot more about the team on on Tuesday night against uh, Peru, which obviously is at Panasonic Stadium. I, I know Gamba picked up a little bit recently, but I'd still be asking for their way dressing room. I'm not con- convinced that curse has been lifted yet. <laughs> All right. Then. Well, yeah. So yeah, you mentioned a couple of the the players there that who, who have netted, and Sam mentioned Rio Hatate uh, as his standout performer. Johnny, I'll come back to you. Uh, Rio Morishita got a, a full ninety minutes um, in his uh, full Japan debut, so that was pleasing to see for him at. To his home stadium of the Toyota Stadium, of course, playing for, for Grampus, while Atsuki Ito was on for the last 15 minutes for his uh, international debut as well. So how did you think the uh, the first-timers got on? Um, I only really caught the, the highlights of this game, but I think we're obviously going to come on and talk about Maurice Stein um, and Ito later on as they'll be involved in our, our team of the half season. But one thing that's really interesting to see, because it's, it's long term been an issue for us on this pod and also like national teams, is that the left sided defender, um, like um, not, not enough, not enough depth there. Whereas Maurice Stein can play both sides. He's, uh, he's really good going forward. I think he's tightened up at the back playing playing for Nagoya. He's, he's had to. And he, he often he offers a a lot, I think, you know, looking forward to the next World Cup is a long way away, but the fact that he can play both sides as a fullback, even forward into like midfield or as a, as a wingback, I think if he stays fit and potentially stays with Nagoya or even tries a kind of semi-successful European move, I think he's someone who, who looks like he should be in and around the, the national team for a few years to come. And you've even got, I know I mentioned him again, Keito Nakamura, who's played left wingback before and could potentially do a job there too. So that's very good for the national team and and Ito, I mean, I think you know we're doing the team of the half season. Remember, two two years ago discussing in glowing terms like Al Tanaka, and that that's kind of the, the kind of trajectory I almost see from from Ito, albeit he's been to university, so he's a couple of years older. But he's just he's come into that Reds team. He's looked so comfortable. He's grown in stature. He's won the Champions League. He's full of confidence. He's now in the national team. It's the logical progression. His career just keeps going up and up. So I was I was really happy. I know he got in for, because of an injury to to Kawamura. But yeah, I was I was really glad to see him get recognition, and also Marista, who's who's been around for a few years. So yeah, yeah, I think on that account, we can be a bit negative about the quality of the opposition, but but getting those players involved in the national team setup, I think, can only be a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely, and it's good to see uh, Moriyasu actually um, doing Morishita a favour, Sam, and yeah, giving him his debut in his 
home stadium. I, I remember a couple of international breaks ago with the uh, Kashif Bangunagande. Um, what actually, I I can't remember who who the other player was, but wasn't it Bangunagande made his debut in? Osaka or elsewhere when he could have played his first game in Tokyo and somebody else did the opposite. Um, you probably remember that off the top of your head, but I, I don't um, right now. But uh, yeah, Mauricio, fantastic for him to make his debut in his home stadium. Yeah, I think it was Seko played in Tokyo and Banganagandhi played in Osaka for whatever reason. <laughs> so I don't know what he was uh, going on about. But I guess it's just lucky that the fixtures have fallen this way because Mauricio was probably always going to play against the weaker opponent and I think he's going to go back to Hiroki Ito at left back uh, for the Peru game so yeah fortunate for Morishita but it was uh, the ideal way to have your uh, first game for Japan it's, it wouldn't get much easier for him in terms of it was very rarely tested uh, defensively playing with um, Mitoma in that first half I thought they he combined pretty well he, the game allowed him to play his na- play naturally and go forward so I thought he did really well and it was interesting in the second half when they brought on Yuki Soma to play as the right back I mean yeah he, again he didn't get tested defensively but his delivery was very good obviously the Furuhashi goal but plenty of other occasions in that second half he was getting forward uh, putting balls into the area and it's a player that he really likes to have in his squad and if he can also fill in at full back as well it's another string to Yuki Soma's bow so that was interesting to see but yeah I think everyone that came in at Skiito I think eventually will be a mainstay in the Japan squad I think he's very very good yes unfortunate for Kawamura in particular that he had to drop out of the squad it would have been really nice to see him in this game likewise with Kawasaki who's nursing uh, an ankle injury which probably ruled him out of that last game as well so it took advantage of some circumstances but yeah acquitted himself well for the what 20 minutes or so that he managed to play all right then, yeah. So again, ap- apologies, listeners. We don't get to cover the uh, the the main event, I guess, of this international break uh, on this episode. But yeah, uh, Japan Peru coming up on Tuesday night at the Panasonic Stadium. All right, let's move on to the Levine Cup then, and for the final time, the uh, the group stage wrapped up on Sunday. Of course, this uh, competition is going to a straight knockout from next season. So after the uh, the final match day of the group stage was played uh, on Sunday, we have the uh, eight qualifiers for the knockout stage. So from Group A, Yokohama, F, Marinos and Sapporo made it through. Uh, Urawa made it through from Group B, but unfortunately Kawasaki dropped out as one of the uh, the worst second-placed finishers. Uh, similarly, in Group C, uh, only one team made the last eight. That was Nagoya, with uh, Hiroshima missing out in second spot. Uh, from Group D, Fukuoka and Kashima are through. And uh, Johnny, both of our clubs made it through mm-hmm. from a very tight Group E, uh, Gumba Osaka, uh, edging out FC Tokyo on a tiebreaker, but uh, both clubs making it through to the last eight. So, um, well, it's certainly been a testing season for both of our clubs to this point, Johnny. So, um, yes, some uh, some knockout football to look forward to uh, later on in the season as um, we go into the hat for the, the, the final eight of the Lorraine Cup. Yeah, actually, when, when you were talking earlier, I was looking at my Maycan and found we'd actually been in the quarterfinals like two years ago. For, for me, it seems like years and years and years. But I, I was talking to some, some Gamba fans earlier and like Gamba haven't won any silverware in I think seven years, like 2016. So I know that the Van Cup, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to Champions League football or anything, but you know, Gamba and the best, the, the, the best eight, they, they might as well go for it and try, try and win it. You, You've got as good a chance as anyone in a kind of like two two-legged format. Some players are being rested, some players are wearing international. So 
I think yeah, Gamba and uh, I guess we'll come on to talk about FC Tokyo will be under under new management. It'll be a great start. I think all these eight teams will be looking at it as you know it, it, something to to look forward to for the rest of the season. Potentially, if there's there's not the opportunity to get in the top four in the league and if they kind of come away from the, the bottom of the league, if that the, the relegation battle becomes a bit clearer. Uh, I think a lot of teams will be aiming to win. Gamba will definitely be aiming to win. And it was obviously for them, it was delightful after after conceding a, a horrible last-minute equaliser in the league to, to go and get a, a bit of revenge at Cerezo. Uh, I'm not sure the Cerezo fans will be too too disappointed about being in the League Cup. I think they'd take the league win. But yeah, they were, we're more than happy to, to get through. We, we won at least one of the games against each of the opponents. So gave a few like, squad players a, a run at times and, and let other players get back to full fitness. So, yeah, jo- job done. How, how about how about FC Tokyo? How, how are you feeling about making it into the best eight? Uh, yeah, I guess it's um, yeah, some more games for uh, Peter Klamowski to uh, to get used to uh, yeah, sorting out his team and uh, and his best um, yeah, his best setup going forward. So we're obviously going to come on to talk about Tokyo changing their coach in uh, in just a minute. But um, yeah, I guess at this stage, uh, Klamowski will just be looking to to get some more games under his belt. And uh, yeah, this is a, an opportunity for him, I guess, to make yes an instant uh, an instant impact. As as Tokyo boss, I mean, if you could uh, yeah work your way through uh, to the big dance and ultimately uh, lift some silverware, that would be a, a huge way to announce yourself to the the, the Tokyo support. But uh, um, Sam, yes, yeah, so as I said, it's the last time the uh, the group stage will be contested, at least until the J League has a change of heart in probably four or five years and brings it back. But uh, we will wait we'll wait and see on that. But um, did any clubs um, blood, you know, some youngsters that you think might have uh, an impact in the second half of the season? Uh, that's obviously usually what uh, the majority of clubs use it for. So were there any players that, that, that really broke through for you in the in the course of the group stage that we might be seeing more of in the second half of the season? It was a very weird competition the way that it went because a lot of the games, well, a couple of the rounds ended up on weekends, so teams just played their strongest squad anyway. So not necessarily um, too many teams blooded as many youngsters as you might usually expect in this competition. Like, for example, Sanfrecce Hiroshima played pretty much their strongest team throughout and have still got uh, knocked out. So not necessarily as much as usual. I'm try- Again, to be quite honest, I've not really paid as much attention to the Levine Cup this season as perhaps um, I would have in previous years. But I think one I'd pull out is uh, Yusei Osaki, the centre-back for Vissel Kobe. He's came in, played pretty much every game. Yeah, they, they kind of ended, unfortunately, with a red card in his last game. But I think 19 years of age, I think he has looked very, very solid in the games that Kobe have played. Yes, sometimes I think for Kobe and certain teams who generally have not put out their strongest team, they don't necessarily care about the results as much as it's blooding in youngsters, getting players to play and be comfortable in the system. And I think Ozaki is probably one of those that's come out really well in this. Obviously, there are places up for grabs in that Kobe defence, given the injuries that they've got. I just think, yeah, he looked particularly solid. But, uh, yeah, it was a weird weird version of the competition. I preferred this style of group stage with the Champions League clubs not getting the buy and just being parachuted in towards the end. But... Uh, yeah, I've got to say, I haven't paid a great deal of attention to it as I maybe would have previously, and I'm very delighted that the group stage has gone. But it, it was sort of exciting on the final day, that last group, uh, Group B especially, where nobody really wanted to go through. Uh, the the uh, 
Twitter talk through the Shonan versus Kawasaki game was incredible. The amount of misery on both sides during that game was just, it was like the end of the world for everyone because Frontale was so poor to start with. Shonan were 2 0 up and they threw it away. In the end, both teams went out despite the 3 2 win for Kawasaki. And yeah, it was not a happy place in Kanagawa. But yeah, I suppose for a group stage, it was somewhat exciting. But I can't wait for knockout football is far better and it should produce a far better competition next season. If I could jump in, because while well, Sam has been talking there, I, I quickly looked through some some notes because I think you've kind of sprung, sprung that one on us, Ben. So I have come up with a, a few <laughs> names to, to answer your question. And the, the first one is a, a Yokohama F. Marinos, Uenaka, who scored two, two goals yesterday. And he's he's managed to pick up three goals in the group stage. I mean, he was a bit of a surprising signing for, for Marinos in a way, but they took two goals yesterday in their thrashing of Tosu. That that might be the springboard for him to go on and get a bit more game time in J1 because I don't think he's he's played there. And there's uh, quickly another couple of uh, youngsters is uh, Nagoya, the uh, young forward Yoga Kida, who I believe is still like a final grade uh, high school student, but he's turned professional this year and he's played a couple of times in J1 and I think he scored a couple of goals against Yokohama FC uh, earlier in the competition. And the, the last one is the uh, Avispa Fukuoka, the, the right midfielder, Katsuki Nishimura, who is, let, let me see, he's 18 years old. So he's, yeah, he could potentially turn professional next year. Must be a, a third grader in, in high school. And he, he set up Wellington's goal for their, their winner against uh, Kashiwa um, yesterday. And he, he looks like he might have a, a little bit about him. So apologies, that, that's as far down as I could scroll in my notes. So if any, any teams from lower down have players, I, I haven't caught up with them yet. No, that's brilliant stuff, Johnny, actually. Uh, you know I love a question without notice for Sam. And, and uh, yeah, it's uh, terrific that you've picked up the reins there. And um, I tell you what, some of our uh, listeners who are right into So Rare will uh, probably be uh, rewinding uh, Johnny's little uh, segue there for a few minutes and try to pick up some uh, some names of some new blood that they might be able to pick up the cards of maybe on the cheap and, uh, yeah, might be able to get some use out of in the second half of the season or if not uh, next year. So uh, terrific stuff from you both there. And, uh, yes, the, the the group stage has uh, wrapped up and the quarterfinals beckon for those eight teams. All right, then. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about... Uh, both uh, Johnny's club, Gumba Osaka, and uh, mine, FC Tokyo, before we get into the team of the half season in part two. And, uh, well, guys, what a difference a month makes. Uh, after match day 14, Gumba were four points adrift at the foot of the table. They were winless in seven in the league, having lost five straight. Uh, Johnny doesn't re- need reminding of this, of <laughs> course. And uh, even Alan Gibson, who is usually the most glass-half-full Gumba supporter there is, was uh, questioning whether Danny Poyatos was capable of writing the Gumba ship. Uh, at the same time, while they certainly were not pulling up any trees, uh, FC Tokyo sat 10th, four points out of the top six. Fast forward just three weeks, and ironically, it was a disappointing loss to a suddenly resurgent Gumba side that proved the final straw for Tokyo boss Albert Pucci, who uh, last midweek either resigned, jumped before he was pushed, or was sacked after the uh, Capital Club slumped to a third straight loss heading into the mid-season international break. And I guess for us, Sam, it was a third time unlucky. We thought Daiki Iwamasa had run his course. He stuck around and uh, Kashima reached the top half of the table and, uh, yes, a seventh at this uh, midway point of the season. Uh, we'd all, all but given up on Poyatos and, and, and 
decided that it was probably time for him to to go at Gumba. And obviously, yeah, since then they've won three straight. Well, uh, yeah, I left it too late. Uh, to to call for uh, Pucci's head and t- then Tokyo went and did it at the <laughs> in uh, in last midweek so um yeah obviously I have uh, yeah um a, a huge disappointment that it didn't work out for Albert at uh, FC Tokyo and um really obviously a frustrating season and uh, I mean I'm sure there's no one more frustrated than him at uh, h- how it's gone and um so yes, as I said, where, however the decision was reached, um, uh, how, however you slice it, or however the club presents it, uh, the uh, the the change has been made at the top at FC Tokyo, and uh, Peter Kolmowski will take over in the hot seat. Um, if you're not familiar with Peter, he took over as Shimizu manager at the start of the 2020 season, having having been assistant to Ange Postacoglu for the 2019 champions, Yokohama F. Marinos. But Peter didn't last the full season in 2020. He left after match day 25 with the S-Pulse second from bottom. But uh, it then took over at J2 Yamagata in the middle of May 2021 with the team sixth from bottom after match day 13. Uh, they won his first three in charge and indeed 10 of 12 in a terrific unbeaten run that saw them rise to fifth. Uh, they uh, they didn't finish the season all that uh, well, but ended up seventh. Mind you, there were no playoffs that year as only the top two went up anyway. So uh, finishing seventh doesn't matter in terms of, uh, of playoffs because there weren't any. Then in uh, 2022, they finished sixth Yamagata and squeaked into the playoffs and then swept aside third-placed Okayama in the semi-finals before a 2-2 draw against Kumamoto in the J2 playoff final uh, wasn't enough as, uh, of course, yeah, in sixth place, uh, Yamagata were the lowest seed and uh, Kumamoto went on to, to face Kyoto for the right to uh, to play in J1 this season. E- at the start of 2023, Yamagata began with two straight wins but then lost five straight and uh, Klamowski was sacked. After that, um, Australian football fans with long memories might remember the name of the man who replaced him at Montedio back at the start of April. It was Susumu Watanabe, the same man who white-anted Graham Arnold at Sendai just six games into Arnold's tenure back in 2014. Now, I'm sure Watanabe's had turned over a new leaf in the meantime, of course, and, yeah, wouldn't be up to those sort of antics again up in uh, Yamagata. But either way, uh, since early on this season, Klamowski has been looking for work, and now he, uh, yes, heads to the Ajinomoto Stadium, Sam, where he will try and revitalise FC Tokyo. So um, they're not identical situations, but you've questioned Danny Poyatos's credentials when he was appointed to the Gumba job. Do you have the same or similar concerns about Klamovsky after his time with both Shimizu and Yamagata? Knowing what we do, though, of course, about his links with the Ange Postacoglu, which are, of course, well documented. And certainly if it was just straight after the Shimizu job, I think that would be dreadful. I mean, it was, this time at Shimizu was exciting for mainly the wrong reasons, conceding a load of goals, losing 17 of 25. It was a pretty atrocious record. But I think going to Yamagata, taking that drop down, I think it was very, very good. to yeah, rescued them sort of in 2021, led them to a good seventh place finish. And then, yeah, again, into the playoffs with Yamagata the following year, very good style of football, plenty of goals. Yes, still a few defensive issues, but won the vast majority of his games there. And then 
yeah, it didn't go right at the beginning of uh, this season, but they lost a lot of players. Plenty of that team that um, drew with that game against Kumamoto then went on to J1 club. So it was a difficult re- rebuild. He was not given much time to really sort that out. So I think, he, yeah, his record in J2 is a lot better than what Poyatos' was in that one season at Tokushima. So, uh, yeah, I don't have as many concerns. The concerns I would probably have is that his style of play is quite reminiscent of what Albert Pucci wants to bring in. At the moment, I don't think Tokyo's squad is set up for that. I don't think they helped Pucci out with the signings that he made. Uh, with I don't know, The goalkeeper and back four really can't play out from the back in the manner that they want to. So I think it's going to be a really difficult settling period for Klamowski. Tokyo are not necessarily known for really going into transfer markets and ripping up squads and going full in before behind a manager's philosophy. So it's going to be very interesting to see what sort of backing there is from the the the, uh, the board, uh, how much time they are going to be willing to give Klamowski because I think it is a big turnaround that needs to be made. They maybe didn't get back Pucci the same. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I, I think this second half of the season. I think it's a good job there's only one relegation place because I think it could be a rocky, rocky road. But yeah, Johnny, you'd have probably seen more of his side um, in J2 at Yamagata. So how do you think it fits uh, the way that, well, this Tokyo squad and how do you think he'll he'll manage? Well, first of all, interestingly enough, when, when Gamba appointed Danny Poyatas, uh, uh, Poyatos, it was reported, I think, in, in Sports Hochi that the, the three-man shortlist included Poyatos, Klamovsky and Ricardo Rodriguez. So it seems like FC Tokyo and Gamba are very much looking for for a similar thing. Um, a, a bit like you said, Sam, I think, you know, if you want to, you could big Klamovsky up to look maybe better than he is, or you could drag him down to make him look less good th- th- than he is, depending on which aspects of his career at, at Marinos or Shimizu or, or Yamagata. Um, but I think you're right to point out, and I think the guys on, on JTALK Extra Time would point out that defensive issues. And even last season, as you said, there were defensive issues. And, and if you look at, like, Yamazaki's gone from Yamagata straight to the Tosu, and he's played regularly. Handa's gone straight from um, Yamagata to Gamba and then basically to the Japan national team. So they essentially felt he was playing at a national team level in, in J2. And they still had those defensive issues with, with that. So it's going to be a very attacking style. Um, I, I, it's very exciting to, from the outside. But, but like you say, I mean... My issue as an outsider to FC Tokyo is is kind of the, the front office work because if you look at the, the former manager like Kenta Hasegawa, I know he divides opinion, but after a very very ropey first season at Nagoya, he needed a new striker. His front office delivered him like Kasper Junker. Uh, Albert's philosophy is well known. They, they had two years to look at him at Niigata. It's not like he's been secret about how he wants to play the game. I struggle to imagine him telling the front office, "Sign me Perotti. That's the player that's going to take us to the." The top of the league. I think some of the signings have been quite poor, like like Perotti or like Tokamoto, um, Tsukagawa. I think these are the kind of players. Like if, realistically, if they sign for a team that's regularly in the bottom six, I don't think you know too many eyebrows would be raised. And I think it was, uh, was it Yo Nakagawara who who was pointing out about uh, like Terehito Nakagawa played quite a lot of games from Marinos, but not many minutes. Whereas he's kind of been shoehorned in. And I think we talked a couple of years ago, Ben. I remember I think Sam was, was either on holiday or sick and we were talking about FC Tokyo and Gamba and it feels like not a lot's changed at either club since then. We were talking about the ageing squad that FC Tokyo have got and I look at, I was watching the game last week, it's like if you had Adelton and Diego Oliveira and Nakagawa in 2019, that is an amazing front three, but 2023 not, not so much. So 
Mm. I think Klamovsky is a good coach, but I wonder if, like his predecessors, he's up against too much in in the front office. But I mean, that, that's my outside kind of take. What, what do you make as, a, as an FC Tokyo supporter yourself? Yeah, I share the concerns that both of you have just raised, and they are yeah, they're extensive, and it's uh, it's going to be very very interesting how. Uh, Klamowski negotiates the, his uh, first couple of months, I think, because, well, yeah, I agree with Sam. It could be, it could be uh, a bit choppy, a bit rocky at the start, and it's going to depend, I think, on the buy-in from the club's hierarchy and especially from parts of the squad that are, well, they're more than just parts of the furniture. They are stuck in ruts and they're nailed to the floor. Uh, so it could be a really, really difficult period of uh, adjustment. I mean, there should, there has to be more resources at Klamovsky's disposal than he had at Shimizu. And obviously there are definitely a lot more uh, resources than he had uh, uh, behind him at J2 Yamagata. But the question is, yes, as you both kind of said or hinted at uh, with, with Tokyo, it's always been how well will the resources be utilized because yes, the scouting um, the scouting department certainly don't have a, a very good strike rate. Um, and how how much uh, is available for new players? Like right now, Klamowski would have to have three or four that he would want to bring in right away this summer because, yeah, it doesn't look like a, a Klamowski squad that that could play in, in his sort of vein um, from the jump. So uh, if not, there, there has to be massive a massive overhaul in the off season. And yeah, as, as Sam said, the, uh, the, the front office um, just don't have a good track record of, of shipping out players that are, you know, close to or past their, their sell by date. And um, he has to be given the opportunity to shape the squad as he chooses. That would mean the end of the Tokyo careers for several of those uh, veterans who have gone through the motions for me uh, for, uh, for years, but still remain fan favorites so um yeah obviously i wish uh, Klamowski all the best that's a, a massive understatement he's uh, um yeah certainly got my support but yes i think it could be a a, a difficult period of adjustment but uh, we will wait and see how he gets on and um i'll be giving him some time uh, i'm sure the front office uh, will as well, but yeah, as we say, how well he's backed, I think, will um, have a huge say in uh, how well he gets on and how well he's able to implement his methods. I think if he is given his head, uh, then he could revitalise Tokyo and turn the club into a genuinely exciting watch. But um, yes, watch this space on that. I think so. It was Gumba who put the final nail in Albert Pucci's coffin then, uh, Johnny. And as I said, made it third time unlucky for us on uh, JTalk and uh, questioning whether a manager should be shown the door. It finally happened. Um, as I said, disappointing for me that it happened at my club. But, uh, yeah, we look forward under Peter Klamovsky. So, um, yes, Gumba had away wins over Niigata and Fukuoka before just a second home win of the season against Tokyo last Sunday. Um, or the Sunday before last, of course. Um, what, what have you been able to see as the as behind the resurgence? Um, players coming back from injury or different players being used by Poyatos? Uh, a change in tactics? Um, and I guess moving on to the next part of my question, is it sustainable, do you think, with this mini turnaround in this league where obviously we, we all know momentum seems to be everything? Can, can Gumba 
uh, grab onto this uh, wave here and hopefully uh, use it to uh, to surge up into the top half of the table? In a word, hopefully, but um, as, as Sam's been doing really good analysis on a weekly basis and other, other guests you've had on as well, I think you've all come down to the it's complicated or it's complex. There's no there's no simple answer, but you know, it's interesting what you said earlier about uh, Alan Gibson and Poyatos because I think it happens at all clubs. You know, if your team's not been winning for five minutes, there'll be some supporters calling for heads to roll. But with, with Poyatos, it very much got to the stage where even the kind of rank and file were like, we lose today is he gone so i think he might be gone that, that happened like two or three weeks and then you you'd incidents with the supporters at urawa way and, and marinos at home and i did i don't know how if if this is true but i had heard that the gamble were planning to wait until this break now and if they were still bottom then he was going to go they'd at least give them half a season but obviously th- things have turned around i think one thing to point out in that that horror five game losing run with the exception of Sam Trecce and, and Vissel, Gamba played five of the top seven. You know, they played Marinos, Grampus, uh, Urawa, uh, Cerezo and Kashima. So although they were losing, they were losing to the, the cream of the crop this year. And I think I think before the, the Nagoya game, there was a bit of a change. I think Gamba like sort of realised that we were in a bit of trouble here. We can't just play beautiful football or Barcelona or Real Madrid or something and they went a bit more defensive they could very well have sneaked a draw against Nagoya but the, the ball spun into the net and then Reds away they were 1-0 up and then all that the penalty controversy then kind of fell apart a bit in the second half Marinos again there was all the, the controversy but again they weren't clinical enough to, to put Marinos under pressure and yeah it felt like I think I, I agree with I think everyone at Gamba thought Poyatas wasn't going to last but then almost the, the cloud started to lift because you can't just keep playing the teams at the top and maybe as a kind of precursor to what we'll see in the, the second half of the season with only one team going down Gamba started to face teams like Niigata, FC Tokyo, uh, Fukuoka who were all very comfortable in mid-table the time we played them and Gamba simply needed to win th- those games much more than their opponents we might talk about Niigata a bit more later I'm a bit worried about them because they didn't really play like a J1 team against us and Getting the win there, I think that that helped us. We've obviously had that shock result against Kochi United in the Emperor's Cup that we've kind of quickly got over. And I think, yeah, the, the, the kind of reaction to beating Cerezo in the in the Levant Cup, that is definitely should have togetherness. Um, unfortunately, one player who wasn't there last night was was Yota Sato, who, who dislocated his shoulder against FC Tokyo last week, and he'd been really really good since he'd come in. And that partnership with Fukuoka, I think that was really important because. You know, Gamba chose Usami as the captain and then Yuki Yamamoto and, and uh, Kwon Chang Won are the, the vice captains. But Gamba have always had this problem, which Poyato said in pre-season about, I mean, you talked, I think, with Sean Galbraith about how Postacoglu, the way he talks, he inspires people. Usami is not that. He's just the best player and he's been given the captaincy. Yamamoto is the same. He's a good player. Um, Kwon doesn't really speak Japanese particularly well. Uh, in reality, Lavi is the best captain, but because of his Japanese limitations, because you, you could see... Um, against FC Tokyo because we had the referee over from, from England. Yuki Yamamoto was the captain, but Lavi helped out a lot because of the English communication. He's, he's lived in America when he was a kid, so he's basically fluent in English, and he was captain at his previous club. So, yeah, Fukuoka and Sato are big characters. I think that Fukuoka and Sato's older brother were friends from childhood, so they go back a long way. And even if they're not as good maybe as, as Miura or someone, overall, I think the lift they give Gamba and they sort of, just on-field mentality. I think that's that's really helped a lot. And I know I'm rambling on here, but uh, just to finish off, because we play Kashima next weekend, and or this weekend, uh, Jubali suspended. So 
Um, that's been a big loss. They, they do have Pituka out. It's, it's a tough game. I'd take a, a draw um, right now if you offered it to me. But after that, in the little run before the next break in July, it's Yokohama FC away, Kyoto Sanga at home, Kashiwa Race all at home. If Gamba can get some big points out of that, it puts it takes all the pressure off going into the summer transfer window. Poyatos has identified players. There's actually Suzuki chief among them. Rihito Yamamoto, both players brought in right at the end of the Katanasaka reign. So I think Gamba really, really needs stability. Someone to stick around for two or three years, get a style of football that the front office want to play, get players in that fit that style of football, not just chopping and changing. We bring in Pereira and Wellington Silva and we change the manager. We bring in Yamamoto and Suzuki, we change the manager. If we bring in Uperth, system, change the manager. It's just a cycle of doom. So really, Gamba need to keep it going. I don't know if they will, but... Yeah, the, the last month has definitely been a lot better than, than, than previous months. Yeah, I've got a, a big question for you. And this, uh, those last three victories have all come without Takashi Usami. And uh, if you listen to the episode we had with Rio, uh, where he was saying that Usami was probably part of the issue, despite being maybe the best player, but defensively they were a lot weaker with him in that midfield. Is it a case of like a Kobe? where the team is better without Iniesta and maybe Gamba are set up better without Usami? Or would you consider there's an option for him to play left or right wing or something? You have to, there is a way to get Usami working in this team. Yeah, I, I think the, the position in the central midfield, because I, I have a Japanese friend and her, her English isn't amazing. And my Japanese isn't amazing, but she's been clear about this. Like Toyatas has said many times, he's very specific about Usami's position who he wants to play there and what he wants them to do. But as you say, the, like playing Yuki Yamamoto, Dawan and Lavi, that's actually a better combination. And then Shu Kuratis come from come back from the dead to, to actually put in some good performances down the left wing. So Gamba, definitely after what happened to Sammy last year, I've been wrapping him in cotton wool. And then he, he was actually injured. Uh, I think he, he came on against Fukuoka and then basically got tackled within about 30 seconds and he, he was injured and he missed training for about 10 days and I think he only returned Wednesday or Thursday so he wasn't really fit. It's very interesting to see what they do as I say with Jabali out because I don't think Poyatos, I think there's a backstory to Suzuki I'm not sure about but I think he missed a penalty against Kyoto in the Wolvan Cup that Usami was supposed to take but he really wanted to take it and I think don't quote me on this, but I think Suzuki may be in his last legs at Gamba. And, you know, we played Juan Alano as a centre-forward yesterday, which didn't really seem to work. And the other options like Yamami or Meshino, Kurata. So, I mean, they might try Usami in central, central forward. I think maybe the left-wing position might end up being the best place for him. He's he's immensely popular in the, the dressing room and with the fans. But, yeah, a bit like, like Iniesta, or you can maybe even make an argument, someone like, like Ienaga or, to a lesser extent, Kagawa. I think Usami is, is has name value. He's extremely popular. He sells shirts. But yeah, since Yuki Yamamoto's come back to, to full fitness and he also captains the team when Usami's not there, he's not been missed as much, nearly as much as he would be in, in, in previous years. Yeah, okay then. So yeah, uh, Sam obviously mentioned the, the Kashima game is coming up next uh, on last week's episode and you've mentioned it there yourself as well, Johnny. And then, yes, I was going to ask you about the uh, the three after that against uh, yeah fellow occupants of the uh, the bottom six at the moment. So yeah, you're right. Uh, if Gumba can uh, properly click and yes, this momentum 
is a a real thing, then uh, yeah, by the time the next international break comes around, uh, yes, the uh, any sort of relegation danger might be a thing of the past. And Gumba, um, well, yes, they might be comfortable in mid table, and um, other teams might might be looking <laughs> to take advantage of that. Uh, when they when they face them, but uh, yeah, for the time being, there's still a lot of work to do, obviously for Poyatos, but uh, I'm sure very pleasing uh, for you to see a, a turnaround finally come and uh, Gumba start to move in a positive direction. Um, as we, as Sam and I said uh, last week, it's been such a long time since we uh, since we've had you on. Um, I believe it's uh, well, it's getting on for for three months. So um, uh, overall. As the league stands at the uh, the halfway point of the season, were there any um, any uh, sides you you wanted to speak about specifically for either positive or a slightly uh, concerning or negative reasons on uh, on what's uh, what's gone on so far? Um, uh, uh, that's a very open uh, open question. But yeah, were there any any teams in particular you uh, you wanted to comment on before we uh, we move on to part two of the episode? Maybe I'll comment a couple from the top and a couple from the bottom. And as one of them is, is Gamba's rivals, I'll definitely bring Sam on to make sure I don't go go, go too harsh on them. But I think the Yokohama F Marinos and Cerezo Osaka, I think both fall into the category. Like Marinos have got 36 points, Cerezo have got 29. I would say both teams will have to play a good bit better to get that amount of points in the second half of the season. Like Marinos like support our, our box office and but they just seem to flirt with disaster on a weekly basis and they've kind of got away with it so far. Um, I just can't see it. Like, they do have a lot of good players, but just the chances to give to opposition and they've kind of had a lot of the 50-50s go, go their way in recent weeks. So I think they can play better. And I think Muscat himself has said he's he's happy with the position, but he's not particularly happy with the performances at times. I, I think they're going to have to play better or else I think Nagoya could potentially pit them to the title. Cerezo as well, as I, as I kind of said earlier about, about Kagawa, I, I still can't make my mind up about, he played, I've watched the VCL game and he was, he was really, really good in that game, really impressed me. In a couple of other games, he's impressed me. But when they make it all about him and put like a three-man midfield or they're moving Okuno up front, I think they're, they're gaining from him, but something's also being lost. And in addition to that, another thing I'll, I'll get Sam to come in on is because they are the oldest team in the league. And recently they've had a few players out, like like Jonic and Matsuda, Yamanaka, Kiyotaki's missed all the season. And of course you're going to lose something with, with those kind of players missing. But I, I actually think they might be gaining something in that they have to pick younger, hungrier, like fitter, faster players like Funaki or, or Kida or even Shindo. They finally found him and remember he was a good player at Sapporo, got him in the team. So... Yeah, I'd really like to, them to, to use more of these players regularly rather than just you know the same old 29, 30, 31, 32-year-old t- team. But yeah, I'll, get, I'll talk about a couple of the teams down the bottom and then I'll come back to Sam on that. Um, I think Kashima, and I want to be a bit more positive about them because I think a bit like Gamba, good performances at Gamba were later followed by good results. I think Kashima have started to turn the corner just a little bit. And I think... Yeah, we may talk about their fixture this weekend, which is against um, the other team. We're going to talk about Niigata. That's a massive game. I think I think their performances are turning around. If you can just get a win this weekend, I think that could be the catalyst for them to, to sort of move on up. It's not the worst squad in the league, so I think they, they've got what it takes to move up. Niigata, on the other hand, with, yeah, they've been falling with Ito in the team. Central defence, that's the worst defence in the league, I think, in terms of personnel. 
they don't have a clinical central attacker and even guys like you, you've been raving about and the, the JTEC guys have been raving about like Komi and Mito, they're not that experienced. They've always had a like a Takagi, a Nito, a Homma to rely on. It's a big, big ask to sort of put all the pressure on them. And Takagi's been one of the best players in, in J2 for the last few years, but you know, he's had a major injury and he's never really proven himself as a J1 player. So I think, yeah, Niigata, if, if results go against him this weekend, they might only be two points off the bottom. They could alternatively be eight points off the bottom, but I'm a bit concerned about, about them. More positive about Kashiwa, but you know, back back to what I've said, and especially starting with, with Serizu, because I don't want to be too too picking on them. So, Sam, what would you, what do you make of that? Well, I'm glad you brought up Serizu, because I would have anyway, because you're very magnanimous usually on Serizu, but I know that they've been bubbling up against you, and yeah, you're slightly frustrated and angry with them being so high <laughs> up in the table. But yeah, they have been like a surprise to me, and not in a positive way. I don't think they've played very well at all this season. And then you just look at the table and go, how are they sick? How have they got so many points? I think there are, there are very good players in this squad, but they play very restricted. They're very defence first. They're very much uh, very passive, which they shouldn't really be. But it is that age in midfield. Like you think a central midfield duo of Kagwa and Okono, as it has been on occasion. I'm going, how is this working? How are they getting anything, <laughs> any results here? And yeah, I really do like, well, now that Kida has been forced into the team a little bit, I think he's played very well. I think they're going to sell Ricky Harakawa. I think he might be going back to Sagantosu based mm-hmm. purely on the performances of Kida. I think Nishio, who was someone who came through it a couple of years ago and then hasn't really been given the chances. I think he's a very capable uh, centre-back, along with Shindo, who finally got a run in the team as well but um again he'd been cast off so that's a positive i just think yeah they don't get enough out of their attacking players i think they should be a little bit more on the front foot i think leo ciara has really had to feed off scraps and for him to have got the goals that he has is a good credit to him i think they lacking some creativity in those wider areas geordie crew i think has been okay but it's been quite limited. That other side, Tamada is not great. Kapi Shaver, it doesn't live up to the excitement of his name. And so there are <laughs> definitely things that have to be worked on. I think they've got that solid base and I think they're always going to be very difficult to beat. But I really think this team really needs a pep up in, of some description. I mean, they might just bring Kiyotake back and really yeah, ramp up the age as well when he's back <laughs> from injury. But yeah, they're a real frustrating one for me because I think they've been really poor for the vast majority of games this season. I think I've labelled them like the dull Sapporo on a number of occasions because they were quite inconsistent for a while, but seem to just they, at the moment they just seem to pick up results. So yeah, I can understand your frustration with them. It's quite similar to Marinos, except for Marinos have that X factor, and if it's not playing well, they might not be playing well for most of the game, but they can have a 20-minute period where it all clicks and then they take the game away from a team so yeah they've been uh, interesting to me I, I, I wouldn't I would have said in terms of more disappointments uh, Tokyo but I think we've piled on them enough this this year uh, so the other positive uh, I, don't, I don't know if it is a positive but Sapporo oh uh, they're a little bit better than usual in terms of they're winning more games in a row they're a bit more consistent they've got as we'll come on to with our lists of players, so many Sapporo players feature in the lists and maybe some will feature in our squad. I, they are slightly, I think they're slightly better defensively. I really like Shunta Tanaka, who again is a player that hasn't got into our list, but I think is another one that uh, is kind of oh, 
these has to do a lot of defending in that team because nobody else does it around him. But I think they do really well. I know that they are absolutely loved by the International J League YouTube channel who will put Sapporo on for any reason. At the weekend, they only picked one League Cup game and then they picked Sapporo despite it being an essential dead rubber. So, uh, yeah, they're really interesting. But, yeah, I thought your picks were very good. I really worry for Niigata. I think I'll eventually start worrying a lot for Shonen as well if and when Shuto Machino goes. So, yeah, those are really interesting teams to look out for for the end of the season. Yeah, I'll tell you what, guys. I did listen back to it to last week's episode um today actually and yeah when we, when sam when you asked me about uh, if i uh, had to do re- redo my jpred um well who would i have obviously winning the league and then who would i have going down i uh, i pretty much immediately plumped for yokohama fc but yeah i think that's probably wishful thinking and hoping that sean i can stay in in j uh, j1 for next year so i can go and watch them it, it does look very dicey for Sean Un and um, yeah, if Johnny's uh, if Johnny's right and Racehall are going to start turning the corner um, soon, then uh, yeah, it will be uh, desperate times I think for for Belmare, especially as you say if much you know goes. Um, in terms of surprises, yeah, I, I would just say um, it, well, and it, it's great to see a, a Kobe team actually uh, clicking at the the right end of the table um, after uh, all they've been through and all they put their supporters through. It's uh, it's great for them to uh, to be up at the sharp end of the table obviously with the resources at their disposal uh, that's where we would expect them to be uh, all along but yeah when you consider what they uh, what they went through uh, last season um to uh, to see them right the ship and uh, be right up at the sharp end of the table and indeed top it for so long in the first half of the season uh, was a terrific turnaround. So uh, whether they can stay the course and uh, and really stick in this title race, we'll, uh, we'll wait and see. Uh, I mean, the pressure might be ramped up on them as early as this Sunday, and we'll get onto that uh, at the end of the episode when we look ahead to the match day 18 slate. So, um, guys, if there isn't anything else... Uh, We'll uh, take a quick break and then we'll uh, put together our team of the half season. Welcome back. And over the course of the last week, uh, JTalk patrons have voted on six different polls from a short list meticulously compiled by uh, Sam and Johnny. And uh, yes, we are now going to piece together the the J1 team of the half season. Uh, this is the third season we have uh, have done this. It's now an annual event. And as we uh, the three of us said at the start of the episode, it's something we always look forward to doing. And um, yes, uh, we're, uh, we're ready to rock and roll. Beginning between the sticks, uh, the first poll that we put our patrons uh, in front of our patrons to vote on uh, four nominees for the position of goalkeeper in team of the half season. There was a clear victor according to the patrons. Uh, Mitch Langerak from Nagoya got 44% of the vote, though uh, Park Ilgu from Tosu, I guess, did run him a fairly close second. He got 31%, and uh, rounding out the four. Uh, Keisuke Osako and Shusaku Nishikawa uh, both got uh, 13% each. So it's uh, it's a race in two. Um, uh, well, I'm not sure if we're just going to be rubber stamping this or not. Um, uh, guys, I I would vote 
for uh, Langerak here, our uh, team of the season goalkeeper from the 2021 campaign. Uh, Park came second, and he was the, the goalkeeper of the half season that year. So it's an interesting matchup between the two. Uh, I've gone for Langerak. Let's go to Johnny. Uh, which way would you slice this one? Well, we've actually got some early early disagreement because while I accept Luke Langerak as an excellent goalkeeper and Ishikawa is an excellent goalkeeper, so is Osako. I went for Park, and my reasoning for that, I think, especially Langerak and Nishikawa, excellent as they are, they also have the best defences, and not only that, they also have the best like holding midfielders in front of them, so they, they are rock solid themselves, but it's very difficult to kind of prize them out of, away from the excellence in front of them, whereas Park, with, with 69 saves already this season, that's like over 20 more than, than either um, Langerak or Nishikawa. Um, and it's also been very vital for, for Tosu, I think. It's the most most saves in the league, and you know, Tosu are 10th place. I don't think they're the 10th best place. I don't think they're the 10th best team in the league by, by a long shot. They've only conceded 21 goals, where their expected goals suggest it should be closer to 28. That's not all down to Park, but I think a, a big amount of that is, is down to him and his excellence. And he does seem to have cut out, even if it's just temporarily, some of the, the, the stupidity from his game, racing out of the goal, the, the stuff we like to see, but maybe his, his coaches don't like to see so much. Um, he's contributing a lot with his, his passing, got a high save percentage, not quite as high as, as Nishikawa, but it was that number of saves per game and, and how they've helped to propel his team up to a position where you might not necessarily expect them to be. So while rating all three of the others very highly, for me, Parkey Review has been the best and most important goalkeeper for his team in the first half of the season. So I guess that, that leaves the, the deciding vote down to you, Sam. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm firmly team Mitch Langerak. I think I've paid my fullest to his mask uh, um, plenty of times. I think it's a difficult one to just do it between those two goalkeepers because they're obviously very different goalkeepers. Park the more modern, progressive, pass out from the back, and he does that so well, and he's so vital to the way that his team set up that, yeah, you, there's absolutely an argument for him. Uh, my decision is based on who do I trust the most in goal? And I trust Langerak with everything. Compared to any other goalkeeper in the league, not just his saves, it's his way he commands his area, the way he comes out for crosses. I always trust him to do very well. And just looking into a few of the stats about them, yeah, obviously more saves made by Park, but for Langerak, the one key one I thought was XG per goal conceded. The opposition needs so much better better quality of chances to score against Langerak than any other team in the league. So yes, he's got that defence in front of them. But even when they get past that, Langerak makes the save, makes very good saves. And it's so difficult to get past him compared to the other goalkeepers on this. So, yeah, I thought I agree with it being quite a close race. And the absolute argument for Park is there. But I think just in terms of out and out goalkeeper, who I want in, in between my sticks, it's Mitch Langerak. So, yeah, I think with this one will go with the patrons, Ben. Okay, yeah, we won't stir the pot too much with our first uh, position in the team, Sam. You're right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Johnny, you did make a, a compelling case there for Park. And, uh, yes, you, you can see why he was so heavily supported uh, in the poll as well. So, uh, yes, um, 
Yeah, no, I guess not for the first time, Johnny. <laughs> You've been uh, <laughs> voted by uh, the pair of us. But um, as I said, yes, uh, don't get discouraged. I'm sure you'll have your wins uh, before the end of this uh, episode. But uh, yes, uh, so we will go ahead and, and, and go along with the patrons. And Mitch Langerak is our uh, goalkeeper for our team of the half season. And next to uh, the fullback positions, uh, we didn't break these down into uh, right backs and left backs. Uh, I guess for the sake of uh, not putting too many polls out for the patrons, but also, uh, Sam, because uh, so many of these nominees um, have been called into action on both flanks so far this season. And, uh, well, they they have shown uh, versatility where um, we could just put a, a, a list of uh, of seven names out and the uh, the the patrons could choose the two that they uh, they fancied the most through the first half of the season and uh, yeah we'll do the rest so um yes from our list um we had uh, uh, Rio Hatsusei from Kobe getting the most votes i should mention a total of 19 were cast by the patrons uh, Hatsusei six votes uh, the previously mentioned Ryoya Morishita from Nagoya, who made his full international debut uh, last week, of course. He and uh, Katsuya Nagato from Yokohama F. Marinos each got four votes. Then we had uh, Hatsusei's clubmate Gotoku Sakai on three. Um, Takehiro Akimoto from Reds got two. Then uh, we had uh, Yamanaka and Anzai from uh, Cerezo and uh, Kashima, respectively, uh, without a vote. And uh, we should mention that uh, Ralph uh, did... uh, we give an honourable mention to the other Sakai, and Ralph called him the better Sakai, the real Sakai, uh, Hiroki. Uh, but uh, yes, um, Sam, uh, well, uh, coming to you first on this one, yeah, I think Hiroki didn't quite play enough for Reds in J1 in the first half of the season to make uh, to make our shortlist. But uh, yes, so the, uh, the the vote was fairly evenly split here, and this does shape as a, a very interesting. Um, decision and which two we're going to pick out. So uh, which two are you going to plump for? Yeah, this was a first of a load of very difficult decisions. And the first one, I cannot believe I'm picking Rio Hatsusei, considering how <laughs> much I felt about him in previous years. But I think his improvement has been staggering, really, in terms of, as well as Kobe, really. But I think going forward, I think he's maybe the best of these. I think his delivery into the area is so very good. And he's improved defensively as well. It was a massive issue for him, like being caught out positionally in previous years, being pretty poor in the challenge. But this year, yeah, it's so much better in that. His yeah, numbers are so much higher defensively. And then just, yeah, the number of assists, I think, he's uh, coming in there. I think just, I think it's hot and we needed to highlight really his improvement. So I went with him and then I was very torn as the patrons are on Nagato and Morishita. And because I went with a really attacking player in Hatsu say the first one, I went with Nagato for my other one. I think he is slightly uh, sturdier defensively. I think of maybe all of these in the list, I think maybe he is the best defensively on that side. Gotoko Sakai, maybe I'd include in that. And I think likewise with Hatsai, his delivery is so good. So it was a difficult one between him and Morishita, and I can completely understand uh, why patrons went with Morishita and other people might do. So, But yeah, I had Hatsai moving across to the right-hand side and Nagato playing left-back. Uh, I'll come back. Ben, Which I'll go over to you next. Uh, yeah, which ones did you go for? Yeah, a uh, definitely a, a difficult choice, Sam. And um, trying to decide as we pick our two who would play where is also obviously a bit of a challenge. Uh, Hatsusei does have 
certainly some versatility to his game. Uh, usually the left back, of course, for Kobe, but he has played right back uh, when uh, Gotoko Sakai has been out. So, yeah, he does have uh, the ability to play on uh, on both flanks. Um, yeah, I will uh, I will agree with Hatsuse and I'll... Yeah, I'll split you the difference and I'll I'll plump for Morishta, but it is a very difficult one and I can see your reasoning for uh, Nagato probably makes our team more well-rounded and put together. But um, yeah, I think as a reward for both of these players uh, for uh, the, the development they've shown in the first half of this season, I would go for Hatsuse uh, on the right and uh, yes, Morishta on the left. So um Johnny, are you going to make it unanimous for Hatsuse, or are you going to really throw a cat amongst the pigeons and uh, and pick Morishita and Nagato? That would uh, that we would then then need to call somebody, I think, for a tiebreaker. Well, I'm I'm really glad the way you've chosen Ben because it makes me, it makes it nice and easy. I, I can I can sort this out. We don't need a tiebreaker. I actually voted for for Morishita and Sakai, uh, but then like with Gotoko Sakai. But then when I wrote down all the players' stats, because uh, Ralph complained about Hiroki Sakai not getting in on the living games, but Gotoku Sakai has actually only played 12 games. So when I saw that written down, I thought should have gone for Hatsuse instead. So I'm going to have to go for Hatsuse and Morishita, I think. Nagato, I really like Nagato because he used to be quite an attacking player at Sendai. I think he was the, the leading assist maker in his last season at, mm. at Sendai, but at Antlers and Marinos, he, he really has improved his defending. I'd also shout out like Anzai, who's someone I pushed to get in, and, and Yamanaka, because both of them got four assists and, and they didn't get any votes. And we'll talk about Yuma Suzuki later. And you know, basically, almost a, a large chunk of Antler's goals have either been scored or assisted by Suzuki. So for, for Anzai to chip in with four assists from left back has been huge. Similarly, as we said earlier about Serizo, they've not created that many chances. So four assists from Yamanaka have been, been really good. But Coming back to the, to the main decision, I would have to. I'll sign off on Hatsuse, and yeah, I'm really I'm really happy with the, the progress he's made. He's he's started to deliver on early progress he showed as a teenager. Lost his way and he's back, and I would have to. I'm sorry, Sam. I'd have to go for Marista over Nagato, um, with a very heavy heart because Nagato is a good player. But I'd go Hatsuse and Marista. Okay, so again, yeah, the majority wins out, and um, well, yeah, Nagato, I think, definitely makes the bench Sam of our uh, of our uh, <laughs> squad of the half season. But uh, yes, he's a, a little bit unfortunate to miss out, having finished a joint second according to the patrons. And um, well, yes, the leaders at the halfway stage of the season, F Muddy knows they weren't overly uh, well represented uh, in the uh, the defensive side of things anyway in our in our polls. But uh, uh, yes, uh, we'll uh, be catching up with a few of their players as we move further forward uh, later on in uh, part two and we'll see indeed how many of them uh, do actually make our best 11 all right then so next let's move into a uh, central defense where again uh, things are very very tight and um yes we'll uh, i'm not sure we'll need to get the boxing gloves on here to, to decide who's going to take the the two positions in central defense or not but uh yes uh, our patrons were very uh, e- pretty much evenly split on a on a top four from our short list of uh, seven uh, two players did not receive a vote uh, Naomichi Wada and Sukasa Shiotani uh, the young uh, Yamakawa from Kobe got one vote and that left a, a group of four players to uh, to split the uh, the other 24 votes uh, Haruya Fuji from Nagoya got seven votes as did Alex Schultz 
from Urawa. Schultz's defensive uh, cohort, Marius Hoybraten, got five votes, and uh, Hayato Araki from uh, Hiroshima got five as well. So this is a, a very difficult decision. Um, the uh, the patrons give the edge to Fuji and Schultz, but all four of their top four are uh, very deserving. Is it well? It's, Probably my turn to go first, isn't it? So uh, I've umdenard on whether I wanted to uh, to reward both of the Reds players and didn't want to break them up. But um, I'm going to settle on the top two according to the patrons. So it's Fuji and Schultz for me. But um, obviously Araki is tremendous and Hoibraten has come in and been uh, excellent as well. So I do not have a problem at all if I'm outnumbered. Uh, and outvoted on one or both of them. But, uh, yeah, I think for consistency's sake, uh, I'll, I'll uh, plump for Fuji and Schultz as my uh, two best from the first half of the season. Uh, Johnny, I'll come to you next for your two. Well, I, I had a very similar problem to you, and the, the two I plumped for were, were the, the Reds duo of Schultz and Hoybraten. I think they've been, been excellent. That, that Reds defence has been, been superb all season. I think in J1, I think Schultz is basically the complete defender. Uh, he's almost like, you know, Yasuhito Endo used to get in the best delivering every year regardless. I think Schultz, with this kind of thing, is almost like, for me, he's in until he plays himself out. He's he's that good and can do everything. And and to use a, a cliche about Hoybraten, you, you kind of forget he's a, a new signing. He, he slotted in that well. And I think the centre-back is, is a bit different from attacker. It's actually better to not really stand out, you know, Friend of the pod, Hugo Tadsta, gets mentioned a lot, or people like Gentamura, Hakamata. Hoybraten does none of that. He's, he's replaced Iwanami. He's taken defence up a notch. I, I really like him. So I, I went for those two. Um, just again to give a quick shout out to some of the people who didn't get much of a vote. I think Yamakawa might be the, the surprise name in this entire list. Like, I would never have thought he'd be anywhere near this at the start of the season, but him and Honda have really come to the, the fore at, at Vissel. Shiotani was someone I kind of pushed in and I know he's missed the last few games but I think he's done very well to cover the, the rotating cast Hiroshima have had at right wing back especially when they had Michita technically playing right wing back but Shiotani basically ended up doing centre back and wing back and Ueda I thought that was a rubbish signing when Kashima brought him in but he's actually after a slow start he's, he's resoundingly proved me wrong and, and looked really good but to sum up I, I would go Schultz and Hoybraten but if the uh, Fuji's a, a great defender, so I've got no issue if, if you guys overrule me and go, go with the patrons. So, so Sam, the, the deciding vote is yours. Yeah, well, I'm going to throw some cats amongst the pigeons because I picked <laughs> uh, Fuji uh, and Araki. I, those are my two, and it's not just to annoy Ralph, I'm sorry. I'm not picking <laughs> your Reds players. I think with the Reds players, I think just both of them were just so good, and I think they may be kind of, yeah, they've just got someone great next to them. And I think uh, just with Fuji, I think Fuji, for me, has to be, and he was my first pick. I just thought he has just come on leaps and bounds. Considering uh, next to Nakatani and Mariam, you can get overshadowed by those sorts of quality players there. But I think he has risen through that, and he is the standout player in that team now, that stand-up defender. I think of all of these, I think he is the best. Considering it's Nagoya, and you wouldn't necessarily expect this, he leads this group in terms of key passes. He's the very... Very, very comfortable on the ball. Very good at that. And he also leads in tackles, uh, percentage of tackles won as well. So he's so well-rounded. I think he's yeah, terrific player. I think he's continued. I don't know if he's going to be around for the team of the, the full season. So I really want to get him in here. And Araki, I think he's just 
a passion project of mine. I just absolutely love Hayato Araki. I think maybe in terms of one-on-one defending, especially when it's just on his own against the striker, I think maybe Araki is the best in this group. I think he is so good at that, so versatile, not versatile, um, but so uh, in terms of positioning is very good. His concentration is very good. Again, he very rarely makes a mistake. I can't think of a mistake that Araki has made this season. So I picked with those two. I thought Schultz would get a lot of votes and I didn't vote for him as also on that thing. And I have absolutely no qualms in Schultz coming in. So I don't know, Ben, does that make it Fuji and Schultz as the uh, final two that we're putting in? So again, backing up the patrons. It does actually, Sam. Yes, both Fuji and Schultz are chosen by, uh, yeah, two of us. Um, and as you say, yeah, the, also the top two, uh, according to the patrons. So, um, yeah, I don't think it could have been any tighter. But, uh, yeah, uh, th- as, as we said, all four are very deserving and uh, wouldn't be out of place uh, in this in this team. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, Haria Fuji and uh, Alex Schultz will uh, get the nod, uh, having gained, uh, yeah, two of our votes. So that rounds out our back four then. In front of Mitch Langerak, we have uh, Rio Hatsusei, Alex Schultz, Haria Fuji, and Rioya Morishta. Okay, let's uh, move into central midfield. Actually, before we do, I mentioned Ralph and his uh, shout for Hiroki Sakai earlier. I should have said when we, back when we were talking about the goalkeepers that uh, Kai did uh, give a mention to uh, Tadaya Maikawa of uh, Kobe, and Tony did uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, Jun Ichimori as well. So, uh, yeah, they, they had to get those mentions in. Guys, uh, apologies, it's taken me uh, until we're into the midfield to do it. Um, yeah, this, uh, again, was uh, evenly split amongst a uh, top three, our uh, our shortlist of uh, eight central midfielders, uh, with the, um, the, the patrons given the brief that uh, we were uh, most strongly considering a 4-4-2 or a 4 4-4-1-1 formation um, and that, yeah, we would need a, a proper uh, pair of uh, central midfielders here. Uh, obviously, a number of teams in J1 uh, play with a midfield three, but, uh, yeah, we wanted to get as many uh, out-and-out attackers in as we could, and that meant a, a midfield two was uh, the, the best way we uh, thought uh, it should work. So, um, even though I messed up his team uh, in the poll, Mitski Saito did win the day. And, uh, yes, the loan signing from Shaunan, who is now, of course, playing for Kobe, not Gumbaro Osaka, as I said in the poll. And, Johnny, you would have had a flashback there. <laughs> Huge apologies for that. As Saito got seven of the 19 votes cast. And then, um, yes, a couple of uh, national team call-ups uh, were in uh, second place and a very uh, second and third place, very close together. Atsuki Ito replaced Takumu Kawamura in the national team squad uh, last week. And, uh, yes, in our poll, they were neck and neck. Ito with five votes and Kawamura four. So as we're heading into uh, the, our fourth poll, uh, Johnny, I'll let you go first with your Two choices here. Just uh, before I do, though, mentioning that Yuta Higuchi, Hotaru Yamaguchi, and Kuta Watanabe each got one vote. Uh, Sho Inagaki and So Kawahara went vote less. So, uh, Johnny, your two in central midfield are? Yeah, I, I went with the patrons here, and not just because it said Gambo Saka next to Mitsuki Saito. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I think he's he's been he's been awesome, to, a brilliant signing for for BCL. He's really added all the, the oomph and energy that he that, that was required in a, a team that had been quite stale in midfield for for a long time. And I think it's quite telling that you know that game where, where Marinos came back to, to beat Kobe three two, one of the games of the season. 
I think you did some really good analysis and like Saito got a yellow card for getting a bit over eager. And then within about five minutes, the, the pressing had just, just slowed down enough to allow Mariners to, to get back in the game. He, he is so vital to them. If they're going to win the league this year, he has to stay fit. He has to stay free of suspension. He's been great. I spoke about Ito earlier, and as Sam said with Fuji, I, I think this might be our last chance. He might qualify for the team of the season. I don't think he's going to run for team of the half season next year. Um, so I think Kawamura has been, has been good, but I think those two have just been so much better. I really did enjoy that goal Kawamura scored against um, is it Kyoto Sanga. I mean, I would probably have given it offside, but I think uh, Hiroshima were going to win the game anyway. And Kawamura had the, the young guys, the young players from his, his youth team there watching him. I think that was a great moment. And yeah, I think we're all we're all in agreement that the the five players that only got one or, or zero votes, that the quality among that, you know, Higuchi, Yamaguchi, Watanabe, Nagaki, Kawahara. And the one I wanted to pick up, because uh, I think we're going to call a uh, Sokawahara fan club meeting tonight with, with Sam, because I was a big fan of him last season with Rasa Kumamoto. He just dominated uh, on offence and, and defence. And obviously with, with joining Tosu this year, he's not been able to be as good uh, offensively. But I was looking, I had a bit of time looking up the, the J-League, some stats. He's he's number two in the league for, for blocks. He's five for interceptions, eight for possession recoveries. 10 for tackles and he's played every minute of every game so he's also uh, number one in terms of kilometres like distance covered and interestingly he's played every minute of every game this season and he's also done that last season and the season before and according to my transfer market research the last time he missed any minute of of, um, league action was back in July 2020 when he just turned pro so an Ironman in every sense and I think he's not going to be at Sagantoso next season um, they might go for someone Ben might know quite well, Ray Hirakawa, who's doing really good at Kumamoto in, in Kawahara's absence. But yeah, long story short, Saito and Ito, but Sam, fire away in Kawahara. Oh, yeah, well, I haven't voted for him. I, uh, this That shows how <laughs> good the these central midfielders are. I think it's it seems quite harsh when you see like the disparity between top and bottom in this, because I don't think there's a lot between all of these players. Inagaki and Kawahara, I think just because they're, kind of less un- maybe more understated defensive midfielders that didn't not didn't get the vote especially Kawahara maybe at Tosu maybe goes under the radar but he is magnificent at pretty much everything you'd want in a midfielder but yeah it's just unfortunately he didn't get the votes I tried to sneak in a few mentions before <laughs> the votes came in but it didn't work but uh, yeah I'm with you and I'm with the patrons with Mitsuki Saito and Atsuki Ito both incredible players Saito uh, has been a revelation not maybe not a revelation because he was very good at Gamba as well but um, yeah he's the key to this Kobe team he sets the tone with his pressing midfield uh, yeah it's forced them away from having to shoehorn in the estrin because it's just shown with him there he can do all that that leg work he is just so so good in that midfield plus it's not just about him chasing down balls and winning challenges he is very very good in possession as well some of the passes he makes are, are fantastic and alongside Atsuki Ito as you mentioned I thought the Tanaka comparison was very good I think yeah he's just grown and grown I don't imagine Ben's gonna vote against Atsuki Ito so I think he's <laughs> safe in, in this squad but yeah, two fantastic players, but I think the entire selection were very good. And I quite like the storyline, given how Kawamura has been so unlucky on so many occasions <laughs> this year that he just misses out by one vote. I think that works out very nicely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. yeah, Ben, that's Kieto. 
Yeah, yeah, well pointed out, Sam. And yeah, you're right. Um, well, it's it's my votes are academic at this stage, but yes, I will uh, I will make it unanimous and and go for Saito and Ito for uh, yeah. Well, all of the reasons you mentioned about both of them, uh, absolutely terrific in the first half of the season for uh, for for Kobe and Urawa, and uh, yeah, thoroughly deserving of their spots here. As you say, yeah, Koamura is uh, unlucky to miss out, and that's the, been the story of his season so far, I guess, uh, with uh, a couple of notable. Exceptions and Johnny obviously mentions that terrific goal uh, against uh, against Kyoto recently, but uh, yeah, a, a, a terrific shortlist and um, yeah, I mean in another year where maybe the attacking riches uh, weren't quite as uh, so extensive, maybe we would have uh, we would have uh, given the patrons their heads a little bit more and allowed them to vote for three, and uh, maybe Kawamura might have made it, or yes, somebody like Inagaki or Kawahara might have come a bit more into the reckoning but yeah all eight were very deserving nominees but uh, yeah two uh, the the top two uh, are uh, yeah officially rubber stamped by the three of us and it's unanimous that uh, Mitsuki Saito and uh, Atsuki Ito will uh, yes anchor our midfield with the uh, this is where it starts to get really really interesting I think guys with our wide forwards um, some of them occupy, uh, yeah, uh, the wings for their clubs. Some play more as wing backs, and indeed others play as parts of uh, front threes. But as I said earlier, we wanted to get as many attacking players onto the pitch as we can in our uh, team of the half season. So another terrific shortlist of uh, eight names for our uh, wide forward position. And I guess, uh, well, one of the, the major surprises for me of this entire exercise over the past week was, uh, yes, how clearly Takuro Kanako won this vote. Uh, he was chosen by a eight of the uh, the, the, the 21 votes cast, uh, eight matching his uh, goal haul from the first half of the season. Um, from there, it does get a little bit more murky, but uh, yes, Kanako was the, the clear winner according to our patrons. Uh, Yoshinori Muto was a second with four votes. Then uh, the real bolter from our shortlists, uh, Jan Mateus, uh, from uh, Yokohama F. Barinos actually ended up in third with uh, three votes. Uh, his clubmate El Burr and uh, Koya Yuruki, of course, the uh, clubmates with Muto, uh, got two votes. Then we had uh, Daiki Suga, another Sapporo nominee, uh, with uh, one, and uh, Tomoaki Okubo from Reds with one. Uh, poor old uh, Kota Mizunuma, who is the uh, the J1 uh, co-leader in assists, um, but has found starts uh, very hard to come by since uh, Jan Mateus has uh, properly entered the picture. Uh, Mizunuma ended voteless, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, just the quality of the rest of the list told here. And uh, Sam, I think it's your turn to go first and um, yeah, pick your two and uh, where you want to place them on uh, which particular flank, because uh, that's obviously a, a key decision in and of itself. Oh, I don't get the easy ones, do I? This, I thought this was a really <laughs> difficult poll. I agreed with the patrons. I was delighted that Kanako was well out in front. I think he has been absolutely magnificent for Sapporo with the amount of goals and assists he scored. Was it eight and five? I think it is. Just involved with everything that they do. And yes, they've got a lot of good attackers, but uh, still they miss a load of chances. Just looking at it, it, the assists he got, but the expected assists as well are so much higher that he creates so many chances. Sapporo with maybe a bit more of clinical nature would score more goals and he would be um, even higher up this list in terms of the assists. So I think he's magnificent. And to do it from more of a wing-back role, no, wing-back is not really an option at uh, Sapporo then. Wing-back in name only and not in uh, the way they play. But I just think, yeah, he has been absolutely magnificent. But the other side, 
I've, I've really struggled with it because Elbert has got so many goals and assists, but I think he's played better in previous years. But whether I should hold that against him or not, I'm not really sure. Muto also has put up magnificent numbers, but I just thought at the start of the year, it was quite wasteful with a lot of things he did. So I was struggling necessarily to put him down. I think Yuruki has been magnificent on the other side for Kobe, but maybe started the season slowly. So I've not been, and the other two with the Marinos ones, they both played half a season, half a half a season each. So I'm not really sure I could pick them. So it's been a real struggle. I went with Muto in the end, probably just on numbers and just I think maybe the last latter half of the season the of this first half. I think he's really come into it and he's still off the ball. His work is so good alongside Osaka. So that just pushed him over for me. But yeah, I'm sold on Kanako, but you can completely change my opinion. Um, on the other one. So I'll go to you, Johnny. Uh, which way have you gone for, with your two? Yeah, I've gone for quite a simplistic answer, but a, a bit like you, I did a bit of soul searching because I really wanted to pick someone on the right and someone on the left, which for, for me meant Elber on the left, but mm. I just couldn't leave out Kaneko or Muto. Uh, everything, I agree with everything you said, Sam, about, about Kaneko. I, I know three of his goals were penalty kicks, but you know, if you imagine he's got eight goals at the halfway, if, if you end up with 16 goals and eight assists from in inverted commas, Dr. Evil style uh, right wing back, that would just be absolutely ridiculous. He's, as usual, he's number one in leading the league in dribbles and crosses and second in through balls and chances created. So, yeah, just a breathtaking start to the season from him. And, yeah, Muto, I, I couldn't see past the, you know, six goals, seven assists. So it's like th- 13 in, in 16 games. It's almost one a game. That is just ridiculous, and that's part of the reason why why his team are challenging for the league. And just to mention the others, I think yeah, if you're looking for a reason why Marinos are so good, it's as you say that Matthias and Mizanum have basically shared the position and both ended up in, on this list. So basically, five goals and 13 assists have come from the right wing position at Marinos. Maybe Elber on the left, and you've got Miyaichi coming back. It's just just phenomenal. And I think that the last thing I wanted to quickly mention was was Daiki Suga who. I know this was last season I saw him, but I never got to see Kaoru Mutoma live when he was in Japan. But Suga is the fastest player on the ball I've ever seen in the J League. Just his control of the ball while running full speed is, is phenomenal. And I know he was suspended for the, the last round of games, but I believe this weekend, if he plays, that'll be his 200th J1 game. And I believe him getting this right, he'll be the youngest player to ever do that. So hats off to him. But mm. unfortunately, I can't, I can't pick him in my team. So very deep this vote but I think for me same as Sam I rubber stamp Kaneko and Muto any dissent from you Ben? Uh, yeah I mean yeah I did want to um, pick a properly left-sided player so I, I will have, would have gone for, for Kaneko and Elber but um, yeah I certainly don't have any qualms and maybe it's still just a lingering um, lingering uh, discontent against uh, Muto for going to Kobe rather than coming back to FC Tokyo when he returned to Japan. But, I mean, he's still a, a favourite of mine, Muto, don't get me wrong. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I certainly don't have any uh, qualms with his uh, selection in the team. His uh, first half of the season has been terrific. And, um, well, yeah, I mean, as Sam said, he uh, occasionally wasteful early doors. So, yeah, imagine what he could have done numbers-wise uh, if he had been uh, ship-shaped right from the very start of the year. But, uh, yeah, I'm expecting a big second half from uh, from Muto as uh, as Kobe really pushed for the title. So, um, yes, this is uh, just the beginning, I'm sure, for him this season if uh, he and uh, his 
his uh, strike partner, Yuya Osako, can remain uh, fully fit. Um, I shouldn't uh, leave uh, Koyu Yuruki out of that uh, conversation as well, of course, and he, uh, yeah, fully deserving of his two votes. But, uh, yeah, uh, so Kaneko would play on the right and we'll have to shunt Muto over to the left in our team, I think, guys. That's probably the way we'd have to do it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. All right, then. So, um, yeah, this is uh, shaping as... Quite a team, as uh, obviously the three of us knew it would. And, uh, yeah, the patrons who have followed the polls all the way through, I'm sure, were uh, licking their chops as well. So now we have to pick our two up top. And, um, yeah, this is uh, probably the most fascinating uh, choice or slash choices we're going to have to make. If we thought it was difficult up to this point, well, then, um, yeah, this is... uh, uh, really, really going to be testing our brain power in the the, the final poll that ended uh, today, Monday, around uh, four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, this was the most heavily voted on poll as well, with a total of 27 votes cast by our patrons. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a really tough one. And uh, we should say that um, throughout the day, there was a bit of a late push for Anderson Lopez that got him up uh, into a clear second spot here. And when I uh, first checked in the morning, Yuya Osako was uh, clear of both Anderson Lopez and Yuya Asano. But uh, throughout the day, uh, Lopez uh, edged away uh, two votes clear of Asano. So um, I guess we have to, at the end of the day, guys, decide um, yeah, amongst ourselves and individually, first and foremost, whether we want to pick... Uh, the the two we think will work best together or we simply want to pick uh, the best two players who have played in forward positions because uh, the the two leading vote getters Lopez and Osako are the two leaders of the golden boot race so far uh, Lopez with his couple of braces at the end of the first half of the season now leads on 13 goals while Osako has 11 and indeed was the J1 player of the month for May. We've spoken so much about Asano in recent weeks, um, and he's been absolutely terrific for Sapporo this season. So he was third amongst the, the voting by our patrons with, uh, yes, four votes. Then we had Shuto Machino and Kasper Junker together on three votes. Uh, Ryotaro Ito and Yuma Suzuki both got two, while uh, poor old uh, Leo Ciara, uh, who uh, scored six goals in the first half of the season, well, I mean, yes, there was just um, too many uh, slightly better choices for our patrons to go for. Ciara finished voteless, but uh, has been uh, excellent for Cerezo in the first half of the season. All right, Sam, I think it's uh, your turn. You've got the uh, the short straw, so uh, you're going to have to go first. Who are your two choices up front? Chuck me to the walls, that's fine. <laughs> I can't go with it. So, yeah, the way I approached it, but first of all, I wanted an out-and-out striker, so I looked in, who do I think is the best one here? So I picked Yuyu Osako. I think, yeah, in slightly less goals than Anderson Lopez, but a better rounded player. I think he's he got so many more assists as well. I think he's so much more involved in the attack. He just drops deep. He can hold the play up. He can play, uh, do various things in that forward position, plus his pressing from the front, given his age and his injury issues. I think that's been magnificent and yeah just really contributes to the way that Kobe were playing so Osaka was my first name on here and then it got really difficult because and, and I'm surprised he only got two votes actually but I went with Ryotaro Ito as my second one and I think maybe about eight games into the season I think it was like a consensus that he was the best player in the league and yes Niigata have dropped off but I still think 
out of everyone on this list, who has dragged their team through more games than anyone else? And I put it down as Ito. I'm thinking of that Avispa game when they're 2-0 down, and he grabbed that game with a hat-trick at the end of it. I think his performances against Hiroshima, against Yokohama, if Marinos against Kawasaki, I just think he himself has played himself into Europe with his performances over the last three weeks, three months. I think he has been absolutely magnificent. I think I've checked various metrics that he's leading in terms of key passes, expected assists, uh, conversion rate, all of that he was leading in, the, in out of this group of players. Plus he wins his tackles in there as well. He's not just this lightweight number 10 that can just play fancy passes and score a few goals. He's got such a well-rounded game. So, And I thought him and Osaka would work really well together. Plus, I have to go against Anderson Lopez. That's the way I do think. So, yeah, I went with Osaka and Ito, but I know I'm fighting a difficult battle with only with Ito picking up two votes. So, yeah, Ben, I'll come. I'll come to you then. Uh, which way have you gone? Oh boy, yeah. Um, again, I'm I'm picking two that I think would work the best together. And it's harsh on the golden boot leader. Um, I know you wouldn't be in this team over Sam's dead body anyway, but uh, yeah, I can't, I can't go for Lopez. Um, and huge apologies to Ito, uh, who did light this league on fire for, uh, for so much of the first half of the season, but I'm going to go for a pair of Yuyas and go for Osako and Asano. Um, I can't break it down into massive statistical numbers for your listeners. Just uh, it's more of a, a gut feeling uh, on my part than than anything else. But uh, I, yeah, a, a lot of it is to do with the fact that I think they would be uh, genuinely exciting uh, working together as a front two, and um, obviously have been outstanding for their clubs in the first half of the year. Uh, so yeah, okay. It looks like Osako is is going to be in Johnny. It's a matter of. Uh, as I throw it to you, there are obviously it's still up in the air who it's going to be uh, as our front two, and uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll let you have the uh, the, the final say. Um, well, I'll make it. I'll start off simple. I'll, I'll rubber stamp Osaka. We've got we've got him as a central striker, and, mm-hmm. and if I can take a take a slight detour just to build tension amongst the the listeners, there's, there's two things I wanted to mention. Two, two people I don't want to be in the team, but I'd like to mention uh, Shuto Machino. Because eight goals in 16 games for a struggling Shonan. They have been creating a lot more chances and scoring more goals this year. And it was interesting because his expected goals last season wasn't actually that high. And I think I've lost the note, but I believe it was round 15 this year. He actually overtook his expected goals from last season already inside 15 rounds. Um, and is probably not going to be around to see the end of this season. And someone who wasn't even on the list, um, but is a, is a favourite of the Gamba support, and also I believe the San Frecci support as well, is uh, Kyoto, Sango, Kyoto Sanga's uh, Patrick, who got seven goals in the first half of the season. And if he gets seven more in the second half of the season, that will take him exactly to 100 J1 goals, which would be a fantastic achievement for him. Mm. And who knows, if he gets 14 goals, he might, be, he might be around for team of the season. But um, I didn't look at it in as much detail as you two. I just picked the two with the most goals. So I went for Anderson Lopez. But if you were to push me, if the other options are Ito or Asano, I would have to side with Sam, I think, and go for Ito. Because like we said earlier, I think Niigata, I don't think, like last year, they were not much better than Yokohama FC. I still don't think they're much better than Yokohama FC. But Ito was better than the Yokohama FC, he, he's been so good with his goals and his assists and his overall play, as Sam said. So, yeah, I went for Osaka and Lopez. I don't know what the rules are. I need to check with VAR, but 
I, if I had to pick between Asano and Ito, I would go with Ito as, as the one I would I would put in, even with his two votes. Okay, well, yeah, I guess if it was to be broken down and I had to choose between Lopez and Ito, then uh, for the same reasons where I wanted to pick two that I thought would work the best together, then I would probably go for, for Ito over Lopez. So in that regard, uh, I would uh, I would give the edge. If, if I had to, uh, you know, break the tie, then I would... Uh, I would go for uh, for, for Ito. So um, yeah, we have Osaka as a clear uh, a clear winner and an automatic choice in the team uh, selected by the three of us. And then yeah, we have uh, three other choices. But uh, with Johnny prepared to go for Ito, then yes, I would go for him over Lopez. And um, uh, so yeah, I think that that probably just edges it in Ito's favor. I'm not going to kick up, kick up a stink about Asano and uh, yeah, Johnny, if you, you, you're being gracious yourself in there in saying that you would uh, be happy for Ito to make it. So um, I think that's uh, we can all shake hands and, and leave on a, a friendly note. You'd be happy with that, Sam. Well, if you want a spanner in the works, if I was to have to pick between Lopez and Asano, surprisingly, I'd go Anderson Lopez, <laughs> which makes <laughs> it a little better. <laughs> And it would be with the patrons. So we're in a sticky situation here. And I think we have to come to a consensus. Do we want one big striker and a player in behind? Or are we happy to go with two battering rams? Um, A few moments later. All right. Yes, uh, these are uncharted waters. But, uh, yeah, basically by a a, a system of preferences. uh, Yes, uh, Ryotaro Ito from uh, from Niigata has uh, won the day and he will partner Yuya Osako of Kobe uh, as our front two in our uh, team of the half season, uh, which uh, from the back uh, looks like this. Mitch Langerak from Nagoya in goal. Uh, Ryo Hatsuse from Kobe, Alex Schultz from Urawa, Haruya Fuji from Nagoya and uh, Ryoya Morishita from Nagoya uh, in our back four. Then Mitsuki Saito from Kobe and Atsuki Ito from Urawa in central midfield. Takuro Kaneko from Sapporo uh, wide right. Yoshinori Muto from Kobe wide left. And then Ryotaro Ito from Niigata in behind Yuya Osako uh, as our uh, main striker. And that's our team of the half season. One thing we didn't do is uh, ask our patrons to vote on a manager of the half season guys and um, I must admit I didn't prep you on that question but I presume you might have a choice ready off the top of your head it's uh, it, it pains me to say but uh, I think my shortlist includes uh, Kenta Hasegawa of Nagoya of course formerly of uh, FC Tokyo and indeed uh, John, Johnny's club as well uh, Gumbaro Osaka um Again, uh, it'll be surprising, but uh, Misha Petrovic would also be in, under consideration for me. But, um, of course, Takuyuki Yoshida as well from Kobe comes into the reckoning um, on uh, my three-man shortlist. And I guess at the end of the day, considering where he's uh, brought them from this season, Yoshida probably just edges it for me, uh, the uh, the Kobe boss. Uh, Johnny, who would be your pick for for manager of the half season? Yeah, I, I would go go along with Yoshida. The other one I've mentioned would be, be Kenta Kawaii again at Sagan Tosu because you know th- that's not as like I said that's not the tenth best team in the league. But they've they picked up six victories in the first half of the season. Um, they've, they've managed to bring in people like So Kawahara that they don't have a central striker, but they've managed to find a way to to score goals. And you know, he understands the players very well, and he's he's managed to get get them well drilled, get the best out of players like like Naganuma, 
Yuji Ono. Um, so I, I definitely think he's worthy of a mention. But if I look at the, the top of the league, I, I see like, you know, Marinos, Grampus, Reds, they're all really where they should be. Kobe have outstanding players, but they also have, they've had a lot of injuries at the back, you know, with Kikuchi and, and Tula um, out injured. They've had Sakai's that have been out injured for a bit. Um, Mayakawa is still relatively untested as a goalkeeper. Yeah, the way he's managed to bring them all together after years of having big names but never doing it, um, yeah, I, I'd have to go for, for him. An understated but I think deserving recipient of the award. But, but what about Sam? Do you have any, anyone else you'd like to mention? Yeah, um, well, first of all, just I've looked at that team and we haven't got a Marinos player in there. So you kind of want to put someone in there and you were thinking, oh, we'll have to put Muscat in uh, to come here. I think he's done fine, but maybe not as well as for other seasons, maybe. Although they're top, it just, it just shows the depth of quality, I suppose, in the league that uh, we can have a full team without anyone from the leaders. Uh, the only other manager I'd put in would be Maciej Scorcia, who's come in at Reds. Dreadful for most of last season, Reds, and to be able to have done it with a strike force that's like Shinzo Kuroki at 36. I know they don't score too many goals, but to have them in fourth and to have won a Champions League, which I know doesn't count towards this, I think he's done a very fine job. They are so, so good defensively, and they've got that real platform to build on going into the second half of the season. But yeah, I would go with Yoshida at Kobe. Again, similarly, really poor last season. He's managed to get them working. It's such a difficult... Like it shouldn't be a difficult job with the resources that Kobe have, but everyone seems to make it so. But he's done very, very well. I think he made brave decisions in terms of ousting Iniesta and really going with what suited that team well. The defensive issues that they have had, and if you have given me the regular defence on paper at the start of the year, I thought it was absolutely dreadful and they've got no chance of going anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, he's got them organised, they play so well, they all work for each other, and I think, yeah... It shows that maybe an understated manager is exactly what Kobe needed, and DA has done really well. So I think we can end on general agreement, actually, with uh, Takuki Yoshida. <laughs> All right, yeah, things did uh, get a little bit messy there uh, up front for us, but, uh, yeah, we managed to sort it out, and uh, that's... Uh, that's all taken care of. And yes, we can finish, uh, as Sam says, uh, yes, uh, shaking hands and um, yes, uh, leaving as friends after agreeing on the coach. Uh, but as you say, Sam, it's interesting. No F Marino's players ended up making the uh, the, the final team, uh, despite the, yeah them topping the table at the halfway point. But uh, yeah, another fun and interesting exercise for us. And again, we thank our patrons very much for uh, all of their contributions in voting on the polls and indeed for some of their honorable mentions as well from Kai, Tony and uh, Ralph uh, much appreciated. Uh, yes, uh, we have uh, rubber stamped things for the most part, but yes, the, the last decision proved to be the toughest. And uh, yes, we've, uh, we've gone against the patrons uh, up front with the Ito getting the nod on preferences. Uh, yeah, despite um, only getting two votes in that poll. But uh, I guess all we have to do now, guys, is uh, look ahead to the match day 18 slate then with uh, eight games coming up this Saturday. Uh, all evening kickoffs except for Sapporo versus Cerezo at uh, two o'clock. That is uh, one of three all top half clashes on the slate. And indeed, Sapporo would go from eighth to fifth in the live table if they were to win that game. And uh, that would be some way 
to uh, to Mark Takura Kaneko making the team of the half season. If he were to score the winner on a Saturday lunchtime, well, that would just uh, absolutely make us look like uh, geniuses over here. So I guess I'm jumping the gun and calling that my uh, pick of the weekend, guys. Uh, again, Sapporo box office and uh, Sam gets to get up early to watch them. But uh, there are some huge games on the slate elsewhere, and I'm leaving plenty of meat on the bone for you guys. Um, I guess uh, Sam will will come to you first, and then uh, Johnny can uh, can give his pick as well. So, uh, what is Sam's pick of the weekend? Sam's pick of the weekend. Yeah, you're right. The league is back with a bang this weekend. There are so many good matches to pick from, but I have to go with Peter Klumovsky's Bauer FC Tokyo coming against uh, Hasegal, kind of the anti Klumovsky in terms of the way he sets. <laughs> Up. I think this is going to be a fascinating game to see exactly how he sets up, how open and expansive it's going to be, and is he going to be able to break down a very, very good Nagoya defence, or are Nagoya, as I kind of suspect they might, be able to just pick them off and pick the holes with Mateus, Nagai and Junker. I think that's going to be a really interesting game, sets the tone for Klumovsky's period at FC Tokyo, and I think, yeah, it's a fascinating battle, and uh, yeah, really interesting one, but there's so many to pick from, Johnny. Uh, which one's got your eye? I've, I've looked more towards the, the bottom of the league. The, the, there's three big games. There's, there's Shunan, Sagantosu, there's, there's Kyoto, Yokohama FC. And the one I'm going to choose, um, maybe maybe not one for, it's, it's not quite in the, the supporter range of games, but I think it might be the most important game on the slate. And that's uh, Kashiwa Racial against Alberic Niigata, which I've already kind of teased earlier. But it's really going to be squeaky bum time down the, at the Hidachi Dai. Now, Kashiwa, if they win, that's them up to 15 points. Potentially, you know, if, if Yokohama FC and Shonan both win as well, that would put uh, Niigata only two points. They're only at 17. They'll only be two points above bottom place. Like I said earlier, if they, if they, if they are to nick a victory, that would take up to 20 points and Racer would still be in 12. The start of the second half of the year, it's a big chance to, to put down a marker and that. I think there's been a lot of nerves, a lot of tension in this game. Maybe not a lot of goals, but I would probably just back Racel to, to nick it. But yeah, I think that that's one. If you want to see the, how the relegation battle is set to shape up for the second half of the year, keep, keep your eyes at the Hidachi Dai. would be my advice. All right, yes. Uh, fascinating games up and down the slate. Um, yeah, we haven't even mentioned the other two uh, all-top half clashes with uh, Hiroshima hosting the leaders, F. Marinos and uh, Urawa taking on Kawasaki. And I mentioned uh, earlier on in the episode, it, it, Sunday night could be huge for Vissel Kobe in in their chase for the title. If uh, Tokyo and Hiroshima can possibly do them a favour on Saturday, they'll know a win at Fukuoka in the only game on Sunday uh, will uh, take them back to the top. But if the top two win on Saturday, they'll be six points behind F. Marinos and five behind uh, Grampus. That's a Kobe, of course, that is, when they kick off um, down in Fukuoka on Sunday night. So, uh, yeah, either way, that's uh, shaped as a huge one down at the best Denki and uh, a massive Weekend of a J1 action on the cards as, uh, yes, the league rolls back into action. Uh, hopefully after Japan put on a good performance against uh, Peru on Tuesday night. All right, then. So we'll leave it there. Uh, another epic. But, um, well, I'm pleased to say it's come in well under two hours, which um, yeah might be surprising to a number of our regular listeners. Probably surprising to the three of us as well. But, um, yeah, absolutely terrific stuff, Johnny. It, it was far too long, but 
between drinks. And, uh, yeah, hold my hands up there. Uh, apologies for that. Uh, should have had you on more during the first half of the season. As I said, didn't want to overtax you. But then, uh, yeah, looked up and it had been three months since we'd had you on. So, um yeah, obviously you're Mr. Reliable. We knew we could uh, count on you to uh, to bring the fire, and you've done that. And um, I think you've won the day on a few of these votes. So hopefully you're leaving happy as well, and happy to come back for more next time. But uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing to uh, from you again uh, very soon. Uh, thanks for your time on this uh, on this week's episode, mate. Yeah, th- thanks for having me, guys. It's it's always fun, and I've I've managed to avoid tramping up towards the end of the the, the recording. So. I think it went quite well. And yeah, yeah, let's make sure it's not not as long between drinks next time. But thanks very much. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Johnny. And uh, yeah, as I say, we look forward to hearing from you again soon. And uh, Sam, yes, another epic. Um, a few disagreements here or there. But uh, yeah, that's to be expected and all in good fun. But uh, yeah, another uh, great uh, team of the season episode, the team of the half season on this occasion. But uh, yeah, fantastic stuff. And uh, well, yeah, can't wait for uh, the league to kick back into action with a really interesting slate of games uh, this weekend. Yeah, it looks like a real belter, a set of fixture list, the amount of games, yeah, always lots on the line. But yeah, really happy with the squad that we've managed to put together for this first half of the season. I think it looks, yeah, very, very strong. I have no one in there that I'm disgusted about that has managed to get in <laughs> again, um, past my watch. But yeah, re- really good. Thank you to all the patrons for all the engagements and all the voting on that. Sorry that I didn't put Anderson Lopez in in the end, but yeah, I think it... Yeah, I think it's worked out. So, yeah, thanks again, and hopefully you're up for it again in a few months' time. Absolutely. Good stuff there, Sam. All right, so we'll leave it there. That's it for this week's episode of the JTalk podcast. Sam and I would like to thank Johnny Nickel once again uh, very much for his time throughout this episode. Uh, Again, yeah, as Sam said, thanks to all of our patrons for their votes uh, in our polls and indeed for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash jtalkpod. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to review J1 Match Day 18. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.